Okay, welcome to the Hungry Poets Podcast. I'm here with uh, Michael Thompson. Hello. Uh, author of World of the Orb. I was just going to do an interview with him about his uh, process of uh, writing his newest novel and like th things related to that. So I have a list of questions and I'm just going to go through them. Yeah, let's do so, it. Thank yeah. you for having me. I'm very yeah. excited. Yeah. So like, how long did you think about the story before deciding to uh, make, officially make it a novel? Uh, think about the story. I've been thinking about it since like I was... Like before you started writing, I guess. Yeah. So it, it's been um, it's been germinating in my mind since yeah. I was about uh, nine years old. Um, that's when I first started drawing some of the maps that you see uh, in the book. Well, uh, the updated... Yeah. <laughs> what would become the updated versions. Um, because back then, I would just fill up my notebook with all of these doodles and these epic battles between monsters yeah. <laughs> happening. And when was this, like grade school? Yeah, it was yeah. in grade school. I would I would just fill up the margins of my notebooks with all these like insane battles. And I decided that these creatures and these civilizations, they needed a world to live in. And yeah. eventually all of these ideas would eventually compile into what would become World of the Orb. Yeah. And I just thought it would be so fun to have a character from Earth get plunged into this magical world and have to find their way out. Yeah. So I, I should have asked this first, but can you like give a brief, brief like description of the book? Oh like, sure. Yeah. Uh, like the, for people who are new. Like. Yeah. Um, world of the Orb is kind of like a modern Narnia, but for young adult readers, um, it involves secondary world concepts like the multiverse and stuff. Yeah. Um, it's about these two. Uh, high school students that are on a field trip to the Museum of Natural History and they sneak away from the group and in the sealed off room they discover this ancient relic that teleports them into another world and uh, the story is how they return to Earth but also how they uh, evolve from these sort of outcast students into these brave heroes. Yeah. Uh, and I could ask like how that changes when they come back but that would be a spoiler I guess so I guess you can't <laughs> Because that'd be an interesting thing to see how they progress from the very end of the story to the beginning. But yeah. Like, I can't really ask that question because people haven't read the book. So <laughs> Read the book. Yeah. <laughs> it's good stuff. Yeah. So I guess the next thing I want to ask is uh, uh, how did you try to like fall, prevent from falling into the trap of like a lot of authors get when they write fantasy novels like of making their world too generic? Uh, like, what do you use to make your fantasy world unique instead of, like, making it, like, uh, a fantasy world that everyone ex knows what to expect from it and stuff? I mean... Yeah, that's a good question. And um, generally, how I approach fantasy is I don't... I don't like <laughs> fantasy worlds, like you said, that are too generic. Yeah. That, are, that you know, nothing interesting happens... Uh, where, like where it's, it's realistic to the point yeah. where there's no room for anything interesting to happen, but then there's other fantasy worlds where the magic is just yeah. off the charts and there's no rules anymore. So um, my general rule is uh, create the world that you wish existed, but make sure that you believe it yourself. Yeah. So I sort of set up these parameters. I create rules for the magic. Um, it's all sort of based on the magic in the book is all sort of based off of the elements and harnessing the world building power of the elements of uh, water and weather and fire and yeah. stuff and that's sort of that was sort of the building blocks for it and and then beyond that uh, just sort of building out the environments from the ground up creating the ecosystems for each of the different places and then 
of course the the big bad guy and uh, yeah what he what he's all about ecosystems that sounds complicated but well yeah. you know it's it's each place should have oh um, like a unique feel or like yeah a, or yeah. unique feel you you know I I know more about the world than what's put into the story yeah. and that sort of lets you know that you're looking through sort of a peephole at, yeah. at this much bigger thing so I just I just know sort of like the general yeah. what the floor is like what the fauna is like and then also what the um, sort of the powers of, of the elementals are like in each of the of the different places that yeah. the characters travel. And uh, the next question is that I want to ask you is, did you import elements from your personal life into the characters from the story? And is this something you try to avoid or is this something that authors should embrace? Uh, like it depending should. on, <laughs> yeah, it, it depending should. on the extremity, I guess. But sure. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. I think, I think it should definitely be something you embrace and, but I don't think that it's something that I necessarily do consciously. It's something yeah. I find out later as I'm, as I'm rereading, I'm like, Oh, this yeah. character is a lot like, uh, my grandfather. Oh, this character is a lot like my dog. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah. <laughs> um, the two main characters are definitely ex an extension of myself. Marvin is yeah. definitely sort of, um, my analytical, uh, self, the, the person that, that thinks and, and analyzes things and is very much themselves. And then Andy is very much my social goofy self. Yeah. And each of them are sort of, uh, those yeah, two parts of myself. I see that a lot in you. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then push like to, to their own extremes. So then they become their own. Yeah. Two separate characters. Yeah. yeah. So that was, that was something that I did. And, um, and then also, uh, the other characters sort of have, um, they're all kind of like amalgams of your experiences, aren't they? You know, they, they kind of, it, it's, it's what you experience in people, the, the best qualities of people and, and in terms of the villains, the sort of the, their own sort of, sort of crazy rules and what the, the, yeah, I don't know where I'm going with this, but, but yeah, basically what I'm trying to say is you take amalgams of your experiences and they sort of reshape yeah. into, into their own characters. So yeah. I know like in high school they told me like in my creative writing class that one of the uh, the pitfalls young writers fall into is taking their own life and then making it just changing small things and making a story and saying like okay if, if it I can't write this because it didn't happen that way. <laughs> when you start to get the, the, when that starts to happen, that's really bad. But like, I think what you're doing is an excellent example of how to uh, uh, use personal uh, things about yourself or other people that you experience and put them in a story. But like, you don't want to fall into the wrong, like doing it the wrong way, of course. But that's kind of hard to do that because you have to like have everything in there. But like, yeah, yeah that's kind of terrible. But yeah, mm. <laughs> okay. I think that's the end of that question, right? Unless you had something else to say. No, I, I think that's. I think it's a really good point. I mean, you don't want to. Um, stories are sort of what you wished happened in the real world. Or, yeah. You know, we as storytellers, you tell something fantastic that happened. Yeah. You know, I, I sort of, I, I see, I see what you're saying. I don't really like the type of literature where it's trying so hard to be realistic that nothing yeah. interesting happens. Yeah. You know, you don't you don't go home and say, "Oh, you won't ever believe what happened to me on the way to the store today." <laughs> what? I bought some eggs. You know, it's like, "Oh, man, you know, it's it's like now if aliens had come down and, you know, yeah. and, and you had to fight an intergalactic war, that's that's pretty cool, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You, you write you write I like plunging the mundane into the extraordinary or yeah. vice versa and then seeing how those uh, two elements sort of cope with each other. I think a story naturally sort of unfolds. And the reactions and, and um, 
be between the unusual and, 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 the, and, the, and the recognizable. Yeah, that makes sense. So uh, on top of that, like in addition to uh, taking things from an author's own life, they can also take things from other works of fiction, but this can get more like you don't you don't want to get into this territory too much as well because like then you'll get uh, charged with plagiarism. <laughs> but like everyone takes everyone does this when authors they take things they learn from other works and put yeah. them in their own works to just to make a better work. I mean like how do you see uh, so like so like how do you see this happen rolling out in the world of the orb story like I mean uh, like how much of the elements actually like were ins directly inspired by other works of fiction or did you like try to stay away from that as much as possible or like uh, yeah I didn't sort of consciously lift anything I mean I know the types of stories that I like you know yeah. I, I like I like high fantasy I like um, accessible fantasy um, and I like a lot of movies I I Really, I think that authors can learn a lot from watching film yeah. because something that I think authors uh, sometimes don't do well is pacing. So something I really enjoy is, um, like I love the Marvel movies, I love superheroes, and I love uh, the Star Wars movies and, 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 all, and these big, big epic adventures. But despite their scale and despite how um, despite the scope of the world, we we follow a very uh, tight group of characters, and yeah. the pacing is good. The pacing is something that I wanted to keep cinematic, so that all the important stuff uh, seems to happen at, at a at a at a movie's pace, even though you you um, you feel like you're going on this this big uh, long adventure yeah. every time you step into that world. So yeah, pacing is something that I definitely sort of uh, drew inspiration from. Yeah. That's a good thing to draw on, especially when you're not actually, like, taking, like, plot lines or things. I mean, that, yeah. that you can get in trouble for that. But mm -hmm. especially, then, like, with the Aragon story, like, it's, like Christopher Paolini, he wrote a book called Aragon. It's, like, pretty much uh, the plot of Star Wars and the, the Lord of the Rings setting. Yeah, so, I, I think mean, I heard that. I never actually read Aragon. Yeah. Um, uh, but, yeah... It's uh, it's something that you don't want to. Um, that, that's what that's where beta reading comes in, and, yeah. and, and it's like and catches that. Yeah, I like I've had people read World of the Orb and say that you know it's sort of reminiscent of, of it reminds them like some of the themes like you know Shamal the, well, the, yeah. the 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 bad guy is, is it's very um, the the faceless villain is sort of it's, well that's it's a, a common trope. theme from it's a trope. everything. Like, I mean, you see like Doctor yeah. Doom or or Darth Vader. And I, I always love the faceless villain, but he's not those villains, you know? Well, doesn't he appear in the book, though? I mean, like, he, talking? So. Oh, he appears in the book. He's yeah. not really faceless. He, he, I mean. he wears the mask, oh, okay. you know? That, that's what I mean, literally faceless, in, yeah. in, that, he's, in that he's covered, okay. in that there's something to hide, and that, that he's hiding behind something. Yeah. Because um, I, I used to write fiction where, like, the villain is always someone who's never never appears in the story yeah. to make him seem more menacing. Because that, once it, he appears, the, the mystery's gone. That's, so a, that's I mean, a trope as well, sort yeah. of like, like Jaws, even, yeah. you know, things where they, they're withheld. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he's, he's definitely – there, there are tropes that, that, I, that I pulled upon, but I never pulled upon uh, – drew upon actual – uh, sort of characters and I'm just yeah. like I'm gonna take this guy and actually change the name well, no. at least until the copyright expires <laughs> then, yeah then it's all fair game. no I, I think um, but it's important to look at 
what you like and then say you know I like that but I wish it was like this you know so that's sort of where where uh, your playground opens up yeah okay so the next question Uh, so this is a basic question what what are the main themes of your work if you could just describe it briefly and uh, does it do you think it ends up these themes end up being applicable to the lives of ordinary people and like yeah, the, I think I think the most major theme is uh, Marvin deals with a lot of self-doubt. Yeah, and he sort of he doesn't think very highly of himself, and he's you know he's he's sort of accepted his role as an outcast, like a, a nerd and like a, sort of a nobody, just a face in the crowd. But then suddenly he's plunged into into this place where he begins to unlock these powers that he didn't have on Earth. So suddenly. He's um, he's sort of uh, swelled with all of this this purpose and this power, and uh, it's sort of the the theme of the the humble will become exalted. Yeah, is sort of the theme of this book. Uh, I had a question about uh, writing dialogue, but yeah. I guess like like the, the only reason I'm asking this is because I can't write dialogue, so I'm just asking like how how do you do it? I mean. Um, dialogue, it's just, I think dialogue is just a matter of, it's not so much knowing um, dialects or, or how a person's going to talk. That, that helps, yeah. you know, especially if somebody talks with an accent or, or has a particular um, inflection or a, uh, certain verbal habit, habits. But I think it's just a matter of spending a lot of time with your characters before you put pen to paper. Yeah. Spending a lot of time mentally and understanding who they are as people and where they come from and what their histories are. And so I think that when you know your characters uh, to that extent as if they were real people, yeah. as if you could have a conversation with them, then when you put them together, they're just going to naturally start to bounce off of each other. Yeah. Uh, and the next question, did you have any did you have to do any research when writing the book, for example, I'd like to find out how like how people went certain distances in like reasonable amount of time, like how long that would take them to walk and stuff like that, like technical yeah. uh, things. Like how do you go about research, or like just things about like how like the physics of the world works, or like possibly, or like other things. Yeah, well, I I knew that I I was working with a fantasy world, and the world is slightly smaller than Earth, and it has two moons, and yeah. there's all these different different things that's going to affect like the tides and and how quickly you're going to go from one place to another. Um, but um, that's something that's very freeing about fantasy is that if, if you do end up getting something wrong, you could just say, it's fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I tried my best to understand uh, the science of how like things Like within work. the actual world you created, I guess. Yeah, within, yeah. within the world. I, I, I have um, uh, later in the book and sort of the in the, in the four-fifths of the way through, there's sort of this volcano. I was going to have this volcano scene and um, I re- after I researched vol- volcanoes, I realized you, you cannot get anywhere near lava, otherwise your skin will start to boil. So, yeah. so I was like, hmm. And that's something that actually changed how I wrote the story. I, I was like, I wanted to. So like in the first draft, it was like they were close to the lava, and then like, I, I had not get that far? I hadn't gotten that far. In the first draft, I had gotten sort of halfway through, and this was yeah. just beyond the point where I went back and rewrote. Yeah. But um, I, 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 did, I was doing my research at the time, and I, and I decided, okay, I'm going, to, I'm going to change this into sort yeah. of like the fossil of a volcano. And that it, makes sense. And it got converted into this big stronghold that were all these uh, sort of, uh, like, like kind of like a castle, but in the husk of a, of, yeah. a, of a fossilized volcano. 
that was called Titan's Maw. Yeah, and I noticed there's orcs in the story. Mm -hmm. So like that's like uh, that's kind of like a generic fantasy like. Yeah, uh, uh, sort of uh, popularized villain. by yeah. Tolkien. Yeah. But um, e even he sort of lifted it from uh, from old folklore. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah, orcs are something I, I'm I'm really into. Yeah, that's cool. And I think they're good. I don't blame you. Yeah, <laughs> they're good henchmen. They're, yeah, they're they're, uh, they're good good opponents. Okay, so uh, a lot of authors, for example, R.L. Stein, even though he writes these uh, these horror stories, he writes stories about like how he he tries to keep the real world horrible situations out of the book because like he doesn't want children to have to like. Uh, face that situation, right, so like, right. such as like divorce of parents or like family issues. Right. Uh, I don't think there was much of like real world problems in the book, but like it's more like escapism, I guess. But how do, how do you see like after this project, how do you see yourself approaching these things if you write another book aimed at children? Like if you get to a situation where like there's uh, something children would actually be horrified by. I mean. Mm. Yeah, or like do right. you always see yourself distancing from it, distancing yourself from it. Well, or I like, think I think the reason that that authors sort of distance themselves if they're writing for younger readers is yeah. because um, when when you're a kid, your your biggest worry is sort of you know what bullies fitting in, yeah. growing up. You know th those are sort of the themes that you want to tap into. I think with a younger audience, you know, friendship, collaboration, all, all those all those things. And World of the Orb is slightly, is slightly older than that. It's young adult, so there there are some some themes of sort of loss and stuff yeah. uh, tackled. And but um, these are these are characters that are sort of on the cusp of entering adulthood yeah. and about to uh, get this onslaught of new responsibility. Well, I guess what I'm talking about, like even as an adult, yeah. like as a, as an adult book, would you also like are the themes like you'd want to stay away from because like. Uh, they be t like too horrible to like think about for yourself or for other people. Like, yeah, I don't know. I, I think I guess I don't know why I'm asking this question. <laughs> <laughs> so, what, what what's the worst thing yeah. uh, to put in a book? I don't know. I don't think anything's off limits with literature. It yeah. just depends on the book and how you handle it. Um, I don't think I'll ever say say I'll I'll never write about this one thing because you know at any point you could become inspired and, and say yeah. that this could be a good way of, of tackling this otherwise kind of tumultuous yeah. theme. Yeah, I guess like some authors try to stay away from some themes because like they don't like they don't want to think about it like it's too horrible for them, yeah. I guess. Like yeah. Uh, they okay. could they could write for the escapism like you say and yeah. not want to worry about Yeah, it's to get away from the real world, I guess. Yeah, and that's something that's that's great in fantasy. Yeah. But in a roundabout way, you can use fantasy an entirely separate world to sort yeah. of diagnose issues of the real world. Yeah. I think we already already went I already uh, discussed this, but like I was, this question was about uh, how you achieve the passing rate of the action in the story, like how like every action flows to another. Like. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. Um, I sort of that that's sort of a pacing thing. Yeah, and uh, I like to. Basically, if an action happens quick in my mind, no, no matter what, I try to be as detailed as possible. Yeah. But if an action happens quick, I want to describe it quick. And if it yeah. happens slower, then then you sort of then you then you draw it out, and you can and you get even more detailed, and you hone in on certain things. And the longer I, I the way I read, the longer it takes to describe something or an action, uh, the sort of the slower the action happens in the book. So that's yeah. sort of how I pace it. Yeah, that's that's good. So, uh, 
Who are your favorite authors? Um, I really like um, Brian Jakes. He's he wrote the Red Wall series. Yeah, which was a I, I love the escapism of those books. We were talking about escapism, and uh, he had all these songs and poems w uh, scattered within them as well. And he built out this crazy fantasy world that's only populated by animals. Yeah, and I just I thought that was that was really cool. Um, I like uh, uh, occasionally I'll read my my father's uh, uh, science fiction collection and I'll read some of the Herbert stuff like Frank Herbert and Brian Herbert. Um, but yeah, that's that's sort of that's sort that's sort of Brian, Brian Jakes is my guy. I, I'll always uh, crack open a book of his and and uh, yeah, and enjoy enjoy his fantasy world. And the feasts are amazing in those books. You can you can taste everything. Do you listen to music when writing ever? No. No? I no. guess it like can mess with your... Sometimes I'll listen to music when I'm editing. Yeah. Like, um, but only instrumental. Yeah. But I, I don't like, especially I don't like any music that has words in it, because I... That'll screw with what you're thinking. I yeah, guess. I just I just like it perfectly silent. I'm unlike a lot of authors I know where they like to go to the coffee shop and have that sort of like humming background noise, yeah. and I can understand that, but I, I just like it absolutely silent when I write. Yeah. So how many drafts did you take before you got to the final version of uh, World of the Orb? Or did, like, how many, first, how many did you start over from scratch once you finished them? Like I only just... started over from scratch once. Okay. And that's when um, the first, first draft of World of the Orb, I wrote, I started writing when I was about 12 or 13. You know, I had, I had, I had done uh, my, first, my first children's chapter book, and then I was itching to write something else and I had had this idea brewing at the same rate that I was doing some of my other stories and so I started uh, started writing this and you know I put it away I came back to it I put it away I came back to it and eventually um, when I was about 16 I had gotten halfway through and I had really picked up the pace and I really started started to fall in love with this world and these characters and um, I thought this is this is awesome but when I went back to the beginning, because I had taken so many breaks in between, I noticed there were definite um, inconsistencies with my writing. I had I had evolved as a writer, and my writing had really changed from the beginning to the middle of the book. Yeah. And I was like, oh no. And some of my friends were like, well, you know, just just edit it out. And and I could have, but I but I knew it wouldn't be the same. So I just went back to the beginning, and I started writing all over again. And I'm glad I did because. Um, did you keep the same plot line, or did you change it? Yeah, I kept the same plot line. I, I changed some of the the side stories. Yeah. Uh, and and I made it more streamlined, but um, otherwise, all the all the major themes are there. Just uh, they turned out more mature and and they made more sense when I rewrote them. Yeah. So and I was glad I did. Okay, so another big thing for authors is that they have to make a choice between what they want to write and what their audience wants. So, like, how do you avoid alienating your audience without, uh, like, without but while staying true to what you want to do in your story? Mm -hmm. I only wrote, I only write the stories that I would want to read. Yeah, and I only, I don't really think too hard about how people are going to perceive it because that sort of, I think, is a is a slippery slope to stifle your creativity. Yeah. Um, I just I just operate under the assumption that if you write what you love, chances are there's going to be people out there who have the same tastes as you. Yeah, I agree with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so two more questions I have written down. Okay. Uh, do 
do you think like the fact that the characters are from Earth actually, the sort of like the Narnia series, is that is something that actually like is an important part of the themes of the story and like actually uh, affects the story because it, like takes the familiar into something that's strange, I guess. Yeah, that's yeah. Like I said, that's that's my favorite type of story. Yeah, where um, well, I guess we already covered. That. I think yeah. I, yeah, but I think why it's important is because the reader begins to understand. Uh, the world at the same rate as the main characters. Yeah. So it's it doesn't it doesn't operate like a lot of other high fantasy stories where uh, you receive this sort of history, this big history of the world, and it's like okay, here's the story, and whereas it sort of unfolds naturally. Yeah. Um, you learn it at the same rate as the characters. And uh, is there a particular reason why you paced each chapter as a certain length, or did you just write until you're done writing the chapter and then just cut it off or did you like try to keep them certain lengths for for like what's required for each chapter yeah I didn't I didn't consciously try to like aim for a word count or a page count but they all turned out to be fairly symmetrical um, in in length and I just I sort of I don't really go by okay I'm going to go this many words in or this many pages yeah in. I just I just know I'm, I gotta go from this event to this event yeah uh, within uh, within the confines of a chapter and um, I sort of, I sort of have a rough outline of, of like, okay, yeah. this is what's going to happen in this chapter, but it, it's loose and it, it gives lots of opportunities for your characters to surprise you and for things you weren't expecting to happen and actually drive the for the story forward in a way you weren't expecting. Yeah. So the last thing I think is, uh, what what's the official explanation about how like the characters they can the the ones in the the world of the orb world can speak English when. <laughs> The character they're not from that country I guess I mean that 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 realm. world yeah. yeah so so how, how do you go from from earth to Encarti in the case of yeah. the world of the orb and <laughs> how does everybody how is most people able to understand each other um, uh, the, the the easy explanation is because otherwise you wouldn't be able to read it yeah. <laughs> you know they, they wouldn't be able to be a short story it would be a short story, <laughs> it, short they, story. they'd be <laughs> they'd be lost forever they, <laughs> <laughs> trying to <laughs> trying to understand these people, but the way I interpret it, there there is a there is a short section in um, in chapter two. I think it's chapter two. Yeah, it's in chapter two, and where Marvin is sort of describing when he's when he's starting to realize that he's not on Earth anymore because they don't realize it right away. Yeah. Um, uh, he starts to he starts to notice the slight changes in the air and the slight changes of the gravity even and the slight changes in the flora and the fauna and and it all sorts sorts of sort of hits him at once and he also realizes that he himself is different in some way and that's sort of all yeah. that that all that hints at my personal explanation of, of why people are able to understand each other is that um, the characters themselves have undergone sort of a uh, transfiguration when they went yeah. through the orb. Uh, that they have been sort of put back together in in the elements of, of the world, and that they are kind of uh, an Encarti version of their earthly selves. Um, even though they're still themselves, they're sort of put together in in a new way, and that's why I think they're able to understand each other. Yeah, their understanding of language becomes the common tongue in okay. in World of the Orb and they inter and they interpret that as whatever language the book is written in and in this case English. So okay. that's my explanation. <laughs> that's very interesting. But so, also yeah. mainly just so you can read it. <laughs> yeah. 
So where can people get your book and like how much is it and mm -hmm. stuff? Like you can get World of the Orb on Amazon.com for $18.99. It's also available on uh, BarnesandNoble.com and my website, WorldoftheOrb.com. Uh, you can read more about the book there and, and there are links to get the book there. You can follow me at Twitter at mthompsonbooks, uh, M-T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N books. And on my Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash worldoftheorb. And I post lots of fun stuff there. Okay, any so. other thoughts before we close out? Like uh, thank you for having me. This has been a yeah, lot of fun. Thanks. My first podcast. Yeah. <laughs>